Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 14, we'll continue on there. All right, well, last week uh, when we finished or began chapter 14, um, we learned of this mission team's experience in Iconium. Uh, many individuals came to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior there, but Paul and Barnabas also faced intense persecution there in Iconium. They had to flee to the city of Lystra, and that's where the passage we'll study together this morning picks up. Let me tell you, uh, things are no less exciting here in Lystra. We're told uh, of one individual, for sure, who came to trust in Christ as Savior, and his life was radically transformed uh, by the gospel and the power of Christ. We also learn that uh, in this passage that sometimes um, the reaction to you and I being faithful, the reaction to you and I uh, sharing the gospel, sometimes it can be serious confusion by those who hear it, by our audience. And uh, finally, we are encouraged to stay on mission even through the most difficult, uh, through the most dangerous uh, opposition that we might face. We're encouraged to stay on mission because God is the one who gives us both the power and the protection to be on mission for him. Before we study this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to your word this morning. Uh, We ask that you'd speak to us through it. Uh, We come here with hearts that are are open and yielded to the working of the Holy Spirit. We commit that to you as a church right now. So take your word. I pray that you would wield it. I pray that it would be a sword that pierces to the dividing us under a soul and spirit, um, that it would be quick and powerful here amongst us this morning. If there's things in our life that need to change, that need to uh, be aligned with your will, I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, convict us of that and would give us the strength to, to commit to do what you want us to do. Um, Lord, I do lift up our young people and, and Scott and Daniel as they're returning back. Give them safety on the roads um, this morning. And we'd also lift up the week that's coming up here starting next Sunday. God, I pray that you uh, continue to work amongst us as Aaron and his team come. Uh, last time we saw people get saved. We saw decisions be made, uh, commitment to Christ. I pray that same thing would go on here. Um, bless us and help us to be a blessing to, to them too. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, in verses 8 through 10 here, uh, after preaching the gospel to the people in Lystra, we see a confirming miracle being done. Uh, We've seen this happen a few times so far in the book of Acts, God empowering those who are on mission at that time to do miracles that would confirm the gospel message that they preached. Remember, they did not have the Bible. They did not have the the whole Bible like you and I have it. They had the Old Testament. That's all they had. And so when they would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, God would often give them the ability to do miracles through the Holy Spirit's power in order to confirm the message that they preached. We even learned last week in Iconium that they did signs and wonders, uh, Paul and Barnabas did, uh, in order to confirm the message that that they preached, that it was truth. 
And in verse 8, we learn of a fella who's going to be the recipient of this confirming miracle. Let's see what it says about this lame man's need. In verse 8, it says, Here in Lystra, listening to Paul and Barnabas preach the gospel, there was a certain man, and he was impotent in his feet. Impotent meaning powerless. You know, most of us take for granted uh, something as simple as walking that most of us, I think everybody here, we walked into uh, the church this morning. This guy couldn't. Um, because he was a cripple from his mother's womb, as verse 8 describes him. He's a man who never walked. He had never walked. Do you think that this man was aware of his need? Yeah, of course he was. I guarantee you he was. That is actually a blessed place to be in life when you're aware of your need. Um, Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it cannot do anything for someone who will not admit their need. It can't really do anything for somebody who thinks that they're A-OK and that they have it all together. I think of those 10 lepers that Jesus healed. They had no problem admitting their need as they cried out loudly, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And uh, I said that's a good place to be, and it is, because saving faith always begins, it has to start here, it begins with you and I admitting our need for the Lord. It begins with you and I seeing ourselves as God sees us, multitudes like sheep without a shepherd, poor, wretched, blind, in need of the salvation that God offers us by his grace to us in Jesus Christ. This lame man's life, it was about to be changed and changed forever. Let's look at his new life in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says he heard Paul speak, and I'm sure you know what Paul spoke about. I mean, we don't have the sermon uh, printed out here for us between verses 8 and 9. Uh, but verse 7 said that they were there in Lystra to, to preach the gospel. Well, of course they did. That, that, that was what had completely transformed Paul's life. That was uh, his exclusive message, wherever God sent Paul on mission. Uh, when he was defending his ministry to the church in Corinth, God had Paul write in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, uh, for I decided to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the love of Paul's heart. That was a lyric for every sermon he preached. And that's what this certain man heard Paul speak. Verse 9 said that Paul steadfastly beheld him. So as Paul was preaching the gospel here in Lystra, he noticed, while he was preaching, he noticed that this man's attention had been given to him. He was paying attention to the sermon. There there was this connection being made between uh, preacher and congregant, between speaker and and listener, uh, to the point that Paul had perceived that this man had faith to be healed. And and I believe what God's telling us in that phrase is that the Holy Spirit gave Paul uh, this special, uh, specific discernment that this guy was either really close or he was already in the process of being born again. He was about to give his life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was drawing this man, as Paul preached, to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I've been preaching here, uh, here uh, in this pulpit for about three years now as lead pastor uh, for a few years beyond that when I'd speak from time to time at, at Cornerstone Baptist up in Fayetteville where we went. Uh, there have been instances that I have been able to perceive uh, that the Holy Spirit has taken God's word and is working on someone. There's also instances where you notice the opposite. Sometimes there's a few eyes closed. I don't know if it was a late Saturday night or I have a congregation with some really dedicated prayer warriors. Uh, 
It's really, it's fun up here. It is. You can gauge people's reactions, and I look at you in the faces, and if I look at you, it's probably not because I'm thinking about you. I, I don't mean that in an ugly way. Or, anything, or because I, this person really needs this point I'm giving to them. I, I look at you because I, I can gauge whether I made sense or I haven't done my job very well. I need to repeat that or whether you got it, and it's time to move on. And that's what happens here. What's Paul's response to the Spirit's leading here? Verse 10 says that Paul says, when he, when he discerns that the Holy Spirit's working on this guy, Paul uh, says with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And, and this leads us to the next thing that's always true about saving faith. Not only does it always begin by you and I admitting our need, it always, it always responds in obedience. What did this man do in verse 10? He obeyed the voice of the Holy Spirit through Paul's gospel message and, and through Paul's command here to get up. Uh, this man who was unable <laughs> to use his feet his entire life, ever, ever since birth, he leaped and he walked. He leaped and he walked, church. Uh, not, he didn't just feel a little something down there. Oh, there's a tingle. Is this what's going on here? No, it says he immediately uh, got up and leapt and walked. His life transformation, it was immediate. It was powerful, and, and that is so important because what we're being, why God tells us this is that his physical change, this physical change that he experienced, it was an exact mirror, an exact representation of what also happened to him spiritually uh, as he was drawn by the Holy Spirit to place his faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, there was an immediate and powerful change in his life, physically and spiritually, and that always, it always happens in someone who's truly saved. They always respond in obedience. Now, there's going to be struggles still. There will be all your lifelong, Christian. But that's just the thing. There's a struggle where there probably wasn't one before you were saved. Uh, no more are, are you bound to live life in sin with no battle. Uh, no more are you, are you completely captive to sin. You can fight. When, when the Holy Spirit comes and gives you new life in Christ, you will have what, what we call here, you'll have new affections. <laughs> there, there were, there's things now that, man, before, you didn't really care much for, and now they're the, they're the passion of your life, and, and you'll have new aversions. There's things that used to just dominate your life. You might still struggle with them, but they're definitely not as sweet as they were before the Holy Spirit came and gave you new life in Christ. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite pastors and theologians, he put it this way, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit never enters a man and lets him live like the world. Amen? I don't. Saving faith admits a need. And saving faith responds in obedience. We're going to see a third always when it comes to saving faith. Saving faith always responds in praise. But here, <laughs> the praise goes a little astray. There's a confusion, confusing misconception uh, upon seeing this lame man healed, the crowd, they begin to praise Paul and Barnabas, actually calling them gods, small g. Um, and, and this was caused by their culture. Paul and Barnabas had not been in a synagogue here as they had in their previous stops, um, not, not been preaching to an ethnically Jewish audience who had some, at least some understanding uh, of the Old Testament and God's covenant promises of a Messiah. Uh, no, here their, their audience was mostly comprised of polytheistic, uh, we might call them pagan Gentiles. That's evident in verses 11 and 12. Um, these, this crowd, they witnessed the Holy Spirit's power through Paul healing this lame man, and they assumed that the gods are, are come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, where would they get such a strange idea from? 
Well, from their culture. We, we don't learn of it here. Luke doesn't talk about it. But in historical writings from this time period, um, there was actually an ancient legend that Zeus and Hermes, they were the Greek forms of Jupiter and Mercurius here. Those were the Roman gods, but they were the same god as, as Zeus and Hermes. There was this ancient legend that Zeus and Hermes had come down and they had visited this city before. They had visited Lystra, and according to the legend, nobody in the town showed them hospitality except for one elderly couple who invited them into their home to stay and who fed them. And um, so Lystra was then rewarded for their hospitality. So now, uh, does their reaction, does this crowd's reaction make just a little? more sense when we consider the context of their culture. Uh, when Paul preached the gospel to these people prior to the lame man being healed, it was likely the first time that they had ever heard about Jesus Christ or even about the one true God uh, who had sent Christ to save us from our sins. And, and you know, it's kind of crazy for us to think this way, but you and I were not in much of a different uh, cultural context even here in America anymore, church. We're not. I know we're down here in the Bible Belt and things might be slightly different, but do you realize that many of the people that you come into contact with, that you're going to interact with on a daily basis, they are for all practical purposes biblically illiterate? They are. I mean, they don't know what you might know. They, they may have no true concept of God uh, whatsoever. And accounts from God's word, that man, you've heard them a thousand times since you were a little kid uh, in Sunday school, they're totally foreign to them. And probably no different than this ancient legend. That might be how they see them, even if they have heard of them. And so helping uh, people like this understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is going to necessitate you and I explaining it in, in a different way than we would with somebody who has some kind of understanding of the truth in God's word. It doesn't mean the gospel changes, it just means the way that we might introduce it or present it might change. In verses 13 to 14, uh, we learn that these polytheistic people, that they even began to bring sacrifices, oxen with garlands around their neck to worship Paul and Barnabas. And then we're told of the reaction that this mission team had when they became aware of all that was going on. It says in verse 14 that Barnabas and Paul, they rent their clothes, they tore their clothes, and they ran in among the people. They were trying to bring this confusing misconception to an immediate halt. And they rent their clothes because there was some kind of language barrier here. I mean, they could hear Paul speak, but maybe after the healing, they started speaking in their own language that Paul and Barnabas didn't know. But Paul and Barnabas did this because they're like, well, we got to do something to try to communicate our aversion to what's going on here. And then in verse 15, they tell the crowd, hold on, <laughs> we're not gods. No, we're men just like every one of you. You got this all wrong. And, and then Paul begins to give them another short sermon in verses 15 through 18, and we do have the content of that one. And he's hoping to correct this misunderstanding by, by going back to creation. There's something for us to learn there. All right, so when we're dealing with people who don't have any kind of concept about God's word, they don't know the Old Testament, New Testament like you and I do, that's a pretty good place to start. And here's why. Um, because if you get the start of this book wrong, what else are you going to get wrong? You can get the whole rest of it wrong. I'm so glad our, one of our classes, the Pairs and Spares class, I think they had a creation Sunday school. That was a focus. I'm thankful for that. Uh, a couple, of, was it two years ago in VBS we had that? It's so important <laughs> because if you don't start there, if you don't get that right, you're not going to get anything else right. And Paul tries to correct them with the creation account. He says to them in verse 15, what we have been preaching uh, earlier, it was to get you to turn 
to turn from these vanities, these worthless idols like Zeus and Hermes and Jupiter and Mercurius, um, to turn from them to the living God, he says, meaning the one true God. And Paul says he's the one who made heaven and earth. He's the one who made the sea and everything therein. And then in verses 16 to 17, Paul continues. He says, in times past, God allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. When they rejected God back then, he allowed them to go their own way. But he didn't leave them. He didn't leave them without some kind of witness, without some kind of word. And one thing we can see is nature. We can see his creation. We can look around us. And so Paul says, not only did he create everything that you can see here, uh, he also has provided for you through this creation. And, and so Paul is speaking here about uh, what we call in theology God's general grace that he gives to everybody. Whether you go to church or not, whether you're a Christian or not, God has a general grace that he provides to, to every single person. I mean, did you wake up this morning? That was God's general grace. Whether you were saved or not, that was because we have a gracious God who's a creator and sustainer and provider. Uh, did you eat this morning? That's because God, God, we gave you food. Did, did you come here in a car this morning, whether you were saved, whether you've trusted in Christ or not, it's because you are a recipient of God's general grace along with the rest of humanity. And both his creation of this world and his provision for you through that creation, it should point you to him. And you know, that's, God has Paul use the exact same method of sharing the gospel in Romans chapters 1 and 2. And he says, God's creation and his provision, those are realities every person can see. <laughs> and they're clear enough and they're loud enough that they point everyone, it should point everyone toward him. And they also make us responsible to seek him. But they're not enough. Uh, in and of themselves, they're not capable of leading us to the salvation that God uh, has given us in Jesus Christ. We need more than just creation and the reality that there must be some kind of creator because I have a car and I woke up this morning and I have food and I'm being provided. We need more. We need not just God's general revelation in this world and in nature. We need God's special revelation. We need his word and he's given that to us. And we need the word, red, red letter, capital W, the living word, Jesus Christ, in order to be saved. But even when they were corrected here by creation, <laughs> even when they were corrected by creation, verse 18 tells us, with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people. They still didn't understand. This, this message wasn't getting through. And, and that was going to be dangerous and deadly for Paul and, and Barnabas. In verses 19 through 21, we see them continue on mission anyway. Uh, even through persecution. Uh, so far, we, we have seen the persecution this mission team has faced at an unresponsive and unruly audience in Cyprus at their first stop, being kicked out of a city in Antioch in Pisidia. Uh, last week in Iconium, that, there was an assault that was attempted. Uh, they, were, they tried to stone Paul, but they, they fled here to Lystra. And then here in verse 19, it tells us that certain Jews, and it actually tells us the very same ones who planned the assault last week in Iconium at the beginning of chapter 14, well, they came here to Lystra. They stirred up trouble, and they tried to complete their plan. It says they stoned. They stoned Paul. They drug him out of the city. They left him for dead. Now, I'm convinced that they thought he was, that he went back into the city. And I think Barnabas and even the other disciples were standing around Paul's body, pummeled with stones, 
lifeless body. I'm, I'm sure that Barnabas and those other Christians thought he was dead. And the truth is, he may. <laughs> he may have been dead. I'll keep this part of the sermon PG-rated or, or less, but, but being crushed with stones, it has a terminal effect on the human body, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, God has Paul reference this exact thing when, he, when he's describing the persecutions he has endured for Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25. Uh, Paul writes there, of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. <laughs> and three times I suffered shipwreck. And then one chapter later, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4, God has Paul give a somewhat more enigmatic, a little mysterious description of, of what I believe went on here in Acts 14. Paul writes this, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether outside of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. God knoweth. And he says, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. How that he was caught up into paradise, I cannot tell. God knoweth. And he heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Whether or not Paul actually died here, um, and God brought him back to life. Because that can happen, right? Does God do that from time to time? <laughs> yeah. Well, whether or not that happened, or whether Paul just had a near-death experience here, Paul says that he doesn't even know. God knows. But, but it was at least that. It was at least a near-death experience. Pa Paul's body had been pummeled with large stones. Everybody around thought he was dead. According to what God had him write in 2 Corinthians 12 there, it seems for at least a moment his soul was separated from his body as he went to paradise, or as he calls it, the third heaven, and he caught this glimpse of heaven. And that might be what Paul refers to in Galatians 6, 17, when he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul was on mission to share the gospel, he suffered much like Jesus did. But look at what happened in verse 20. What's it say? Barnabas, the other disciples are gathering around, maybe trying to figure out, what, what do we do? Do we bury him in Lystra? Do we ship him home to Tarsus? Do we, do we even continue on this mission trip after everything uh, we've endured? And then what happens? Paul rose up. <laughs> he rose up. So now we've got a second miracle in this passage. And he didn't just rise up. What did he do? So the next day, he departed with Barnabas, so he's still on mission, to Derby. What for? Verse 21 tells us to preach the gospel in that city. He continued on mission. Didn't take a day off. <laughs> you know? Their faith was empowered. We see their perseverance. Paul and Barnabas had a decision to make here when Paul rose up. When this kind of persecution came their way, I mean, Paul had just been stoned. <laughs> and what would they do? They quit? I mean, this whole serving the Lord thing, it's obviously pretty dangerous. All the opposition, all the danger that they faced on this first ever mission trip, it could do one of two things. It could either be a faith-destroying thing in their lives, and they're just done. Or it could be a faith-building thing. And I'll tell you this, and this is what we need to take away from what God is teaching us here in this passage. Listen, Christian, when you are in the will of God, you are in the safest place you could ever be safest place you could ever be. Now, when you trust with, in the Lord <laughs> with all of your heart, you don't lean on your own understanding what would make sense. Well, when you acknowledge him in all of your ways, what will he do? He'll direct your path. He will. 
And Christian, if God has told you to do something and you respond in obedience, you are immortal until he says so. That's what God's word teaches us, not just here. We're gonna see it again in Paul's life. When God tells you to do something and you respond in obedience, you are immortal until he says so. Giant Goliaths cannot harm you. Kings that have fiery furnaces and dens full of hungry lions cannot harm you. People with evil intent who are chasing you from city to city with large boulders, they cannot harm you. As God promises us in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Who declared it? The Lord, not Jason, not my interpretation. That's as clear as it can be. Uh, that's his promise to you if you are his servant. Is that faith building to you? It is to me. Man, it is to me. Listen, it does not say that no weapon will ever be formed against you. In fact, it says it will. It says it won't prosper. The one that's formed against you won't prosper. It won't achieve its evil intent. Do you think that this whole episode was just massively faith building for Paul and for Barnabas and for the disciples who stood there and witnessed this? And then um, shouldn't it also be for us this morning? I mean, yeah, it was. But Paul, would, he would face the threat of death again. We're going to study that as we continue on through the book of Acts. But you know what he had now? He had a testimony to lean on. A testimony of who his God was and what his God could do. Paul would know this, that nothing, nothing will ever happen outside of God's plan in my life. Nothing will ever happen outside of God's good and perfect will for my life. Nothing will ever happen to me outside of that. So yeah, it was faith building for Paul. Do you want evidence? Let me read the rest of verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, where are they? He went to Derby. He preached the gospel there. Then what did Paul and Barnabas do? They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. They went right back to where the evil had happened. They went right back to where the trauma had taken place. That's some built up faith, Jesus follower. And we're, we're here to learn from it, to learn from their testimony. We serve a miracle working God, amen? I mean, he may not do it every time just like he did it here. Um, like the lame man being healed or, or Paul being resurrected after being stoned. But God's no less powerful. And listen, the greatest miracle that he does that we see on a routine basis, but sometimes we don't think of it that way, is when he calls a person from eternal death to eternal life in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a resurrection just like, like this. And so I have to ask if you've ever trusted in Jesus Christ as, as your Savior. Have you ever confessed your sin to God in prayer? And you, you can look back on a time when you told him that I'm trusting only from here on out. I'm trusting only in who Jesus is and what he has done for me to save me from my sins, to give me new life in Christ now, to give me eternal life with Christ in heaven. If you've never done that, do it right now as, as I'm talking. And if you've got questions about what that means, I mean, I'll be here at the end of the service and Look on the back of our bulletin, our website. It tells you what it means to be saved. Christian, you who have done that, you can look back to that day when you got saved. But we live in a world where we might have to take people back to the beginning um, in order to clear up their confusion about what God and his word is offering them in Christ to help them understand that. Uh, we can't assume that those who don't know what God's word says, that they'll always understand our Christianese 
and our spiritual jargon all the time. And here's the wonderful thing, though. God's word from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, it starts out in Genesis, and it teaches us about creation, that our God created this world perfect. And then three chapters in, we already learn about the fall, that man messed up that perfect world with sin, and as a result, decay and death entered this world. But there's redemption. It's promised in the Old Testament. It's provided in the New Testament. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to atone for our sin, to give us salvation. And then there's restoration, that those who turn in faith to Jesus Christ, they're restored to a personal relationship with God, and one coming day, Jesus Christ will return, and he'll restore this whole universe to his original perfect creation. When, when you communicate that, people might understand. Keep at it. Um, you can be confident that you're doing what God's told you to do. You don't have to save them. He's the one that does that, right? You just have to communicate it. When you communicate that, people might get angry. <laughs> um, they might even get violent. They might, they might do you harm. They might come to that someday. Continue on mission. Because, because there's nothing that they can do to you that can go beyond what God wants to do in you and through you. And if you're living for him, if you're serving him, if you're obeying him, you're immortal until he says so. I don't know what opposition or difficulty you're facing or you might face this week, but I know this because God declares it in Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon that's formed against you, Christian, will prosper. That, he says, that is my promise to my servants. That's their vindication from me. That is what is ours in Jesus Christ, declares the Lord. So will you leave here this morning and commit to basing your decisions on God's declaration and not by leaning on your own understanding? As Tommy comes to lead us in a moment to respond to God's word, however, he's moving you to respond this morning, I just ask that you would obey.